Good evening, everyone. My name is Dr. Armina Ishkanian, and I am a lecturer at the Center for Civil Society in the Department of Social Policy. And I would like to welcome everyone here for this evening's debate titled Celebrities and Aid, New Humanitarians or Just Another Fad, which has been organized with, um, by the Center for Civil Society along with Médecins Sans Frontières. And I'm very, very pleased to welcome our three speakers this evening. And I will introduce you in the order that you will be speaking. So first we have Professor John Street, who's a professor of politics at the University of East Anglia. Um, our second speaker is Anne McFerrin, who's an award-winning journalist and freelance feature writer for the Sunday Times. And last but not least is Chris Torgerson, who is, an, who is the International Secretary for the Médecins Sans Frontières International Office in Geneva. Yes? So welcome. Um, each speaker will speak for approximately 10 to 15 minutes. And afterwards, we will have about 45 minutes for question and answers um, and discussion. And I should let you know that the event is being recorded, and it is hoped that a podcast of this event will be made available online. And so without further ado, I'd like to welcome John. Thank you. Thank you very so much for coming. <laughs> can, can you hear okay when I speak? Okay, well, what I wanted to do was as well as help set the scene for this debate. I think my colleagues will have much more of substance to give to the debate, but I wanted to kind of frame it in some way and to draw attention to what I suppose is the most obvious fact about the discussion of celebrities in relation to humanitarian causes amongst other causes is their kind of ubiquity. I mean, I've just taken here, as you can see on the screen, a selection of uh, relatively recent headlines and stories that have appeared in the British press and in the US press about our celebrities and their presence in the world of politics and, and, and the promotion of causes. The Angelina Jolie uh, headline actually e echoes a, a, a cover from Time magazine about 10 years earlier, which had a picture of Bono on the cover saying, can Bono save the world? And the implication in both headlines is, yes, Bono can save the world, and with a bit of goodwill, so will Angelina Jolie. Um, it's also interesting to see the quote from Fran Healy of, of Travis in which I think unironically he is claiming that the, the celebrity is the one with the power. And for those of you who are not up to speed with contemporary British politics, the last one refers to uh, Carol Vorderman, uh, late of Countdown, who is now heading something called the Maths Task Force for the Conservative Party. Uh, and uh, her role as a celebrity is seen as absolutely central to this. There's one story that I haven't got up here, which I might have, I someone just told me about recently, that if you were a close follower of, of the Lithuanian politics, there is now a party in Lithuania headed by a TV quiz show host and staffed exclusively by celebrities, Lithuanian celebrities, who uh, won 10% of the vote in their recent election. So this is, this is a worldwide phenomenon we're dealing with. And, uh, it's illustrated by the kind of ubiquity of, of someone like Bono, uh, represented all over the place and in the company of all manner of politician or, or, or in this case, religious leader. Um, what's interesting, perhaps, about the photograph on the right is that the actor on the far right over there, Jivon Hoonson, is, 
is hardly referred to in the stories that accompany Bono and Brad Pitt's endeavours. He is, in fact, an actor from Benin. Here's another uh, further examples of our celebrities doing good. In this case, two pictures of Angelina Jolie. On one occasion, she is reported quite seriously as monitoring the crisis in Darfur. She, uh, in fact, is appointed to this role by the UN, as indeed is Jerry Halliwell. And in the article to which I referred in that previous slide by, it's uh, the one about, it's Davos, but where is the Bono financial crisis? That's an article by Marina Hyde in which she gives vent to a view which, as it were, underlies the debate we're, we're engaging in this evening, which is to suggest that this kind of activity shouldn't be taken too seriously and, in fact, can be positively damaging. And she writes in the article that appeared only recently, there is no problem in the world too complex that it cannot be addressed by the emotionalized, platitudinous pronunciations of the entertainer. If you ever wanted to measure precisely how little of a toss we give about Africa, just consider that the UN's answer to the crisis in sub-Saharan maternal health care is Ms. Jerry Halliwell. And there's two judgments in there, both about the UN but also about Jerry Halliwell. But the, clearly the, the presence of the celebrity uh, is unavoidable. The, um, and the kinds of exemplifications of their involvement are up here. Uh, there's a great deal of, and there's a history to this involvement, clearly. And uh, the research that I have been involved in has been concentrating in particular on the role uh, musicians have played in promoting non-governmental public action. There we see, as it were, 1963, the March on Washington with Joan Byers and Bob Dylan uh, uh, taking part, through to Live Aid, Live Aid, and then uh, last year an Amnesty tour. All of these examples of the ways in which the celebrity has been used to promote uh, the kind of causes with which we're concerned. And one of the questions that then immediately emerges is to why this is happening. What are the reasons behind the development of this uh, ubiquitous celebrity and their promotion of these causes? There are obviously many, many explanations. I've just listed here three of the sort of examples that we tend to refer to. The first is the, the whole trend towards the personalization of politics, the ways in which individual personality are becoming the key uh, features and focus of, of political action, and the move away from parties and traditional forms of political expression, and of course traditional forms of community organization. This is accompanied by uh, what you might call the, or what is called, the, the media colonization of politics, the ways in which a media logic is increasingly applied to political communications and political performance. And uh, many of you, I'm sure, were familiar with the expression infotainment, the ways in which we increasingly think of news as something that has in, in some way or other to be accompanied by uh, an entertainment aesthetic. Well, there is uh, recently the additional word, which I came across, I don't know if you've heard it, charitainment, which is the increasing <laughs> use of, as it were, the melding of charity causes with entertainers. And finally, there's this thought that we're moving into an era of post-democratic forms in which we have all the formal processes of politics and democracy, the institutions, the elections, and so forth, but the actual practice of it has been, in some ways, broken. And what we have are people enacting, enacting politics, enacting democracy. And in such a, a world where politics becomes ever more spectacular, something that we watch rather than actually participate in, the showbiz entertainer becomes a crucial uh, uh, component of that process. 
Besides those explanations, it seems to me that also what's important is how it happens. In other words, what is going on to enable the celebrity to, to take on this preeminence in our political and social lives and in leading these charitable uh, campaigns. And it does seem to me that one of the important things to note is the ways that the NGOs themselves have adapted and, and exploited the opportunities that celebrities offer them, uh, the ways in which those NGOs and media organisations and newspapers and everybody else uh, sanctions these activities, gives credibility to people like Bono and Geldof, and the ways in which these people enact uh, through their performances the causes which they represent. If you remember in Live 8 in 2005, there was a huge debate over whether it was appropriate that, uh, for there to be so few African acts uh, performing in Hyde Park. I mean, actually, virtually none. And they were, in fact, uh, only allowed as performing Cornwall in the end, after much pressure. So there's this process that goes on behind. I think this is very important, the way in which this celebrity culture has assumed preeminence. The question that then emerges is, do, do they make a difference? Do they actually have any effect upon us? And actually, it seems that there is a story to be told about this. It's a story which I don't think is formally, fully, and completely confirmed. But experimental evidence does reveal, for example, that if you attach a slogan to a different celebrity's name, you get a different levels of support. An experiment done in Canada, for example, where the same statement was attached to the name of Alanis Morissette and Avril Lavigne, and then given to students. Students who read Avril Lavigne's name attached to the statement were more likely to support it than those who saw the name Alanis Morissette next to it. In other words, there was a way in which you could generate support for a political cause by attaching one or other of the celebrity names to it. Comic Relief will tell you the same story. Depending on which the celebrity is, more people go, up, go and phone up and make donations, depending who, who it is who's performing. So we do see actual effects generated by particular celebrities, although that effect can be exaggerated. It seems that some evidence suggests that, in fact, even where celebrities support the cause, doesn't guarantee it gets in publicity. Those effects are kind of mass effects. There are, as it were, other kinds of effects. And this is two quotations that I think were worth bringing to your attention. The first is of a frustrated Treasury uh, civil servant complaining at the number of people who are writing demanding that the third world debt, developing country debts, be reduced. And he wanted to know where the hell all these things came from. And he held one up because it was written on pink letterhead paper. And he was wondering, who are these people, he was asking. The answer was they were people who had listened to Barno and Geldof, and they had had a dramatic effect on the postbag of the Treasury. And below is a, is a quite moving, I think, quotation from a 14-year-old girl reporting her own experience of going to the Live Aid concert in July 2005, in which she's recording her own uh, emotional effects as a result of, of attending that conference. And of course we know the money that is attached to these things, the 50 million that Live Aid brings in, and the fact that charitable donations do dramatically increase uh, to accompany these celebrity involvement. But there are other kinds of effects which have to do with who gets to speak about the cause and the extent to which the judgment is, and what the terms of that judgment are. Um, famously, after Live Aid, 
with the end of the developing countries' debts, as, as the G8 leaders saw it, Geldof wanted to claim it was a success. Slightly more sceptical and critical observers, particularly within the NGOs, were saying, well, what do you mean by success? Success in NGOs isn't always measured in terms of the policy achievements, but actually in terms of how much coverage that NGO has got. And that's clearly a different kind of goal to particular, partic particular policy outcomes. And that's, I think, part of what's going on in this debate, is what kind of effect these celebrities are being asked to achieve or realize. That comp and that, obviously, tension between marketing an NGO and achieving particular policy outcomes. There's also the question of whose voice gets heard when we uh, are talking about the causes to which these uh, we're, we're, we're thinking about, the humanitarian causes we're thinking about. And here, of course, is a, there's a quotation which we got from our research in which uh, the complaint was that newspapers were increasingly reluctant to take stories from people other than the celebrities who were associated with that cause, which, of course, depending on their level of expertise, could have a profound effect on how that cause was represented. And you can see that as a bitter, bitter comment of the, of the second quotation. A further element, I think, that's interesting about celebrities, of course, is that they, they, they affect mass audiences. They may affect uh, particular uh, statements of how this was achieved and what was achieved. But, of course, also they get access. The Campbell Diaries are a fascinating insight into the role that celebrities play. I've got up here a, a, a long quote which uh, records uh, an exchange between Bono and Blair um, uh, in the campaign for uh, uh, the Jubilee campaign to to end uh, a debt. And you can see from that the ways in which the, 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 the court, the Blair court, was seduced by the presence of, of Bono and Geldof. And there's a, another incident that's recorded in the, in the Campbell Diaries where Blair is reluctant to go to a dinner uh, in, uh, uh, organized around the campaign about Africa. He's reluctant to go, but he does go in the end. He's persuaded to go. And then only two people are invite, invited back to the Downing Street flat afterwards, Bob Geldof and Bono. And there's that sense in which, as it were, these people gain access to the courts of, of politicians. And in that sense, have a profound effect, at least, around that rather exclusive elite. Clearly, though, what's involved here are very different and competing motives. The motives of the politicians, the motives of media reporters, the motives of NGOs, and the motives of the celebrities themselves. And clearly, one of the questions that's underlying this is whose interests are actively being promoted in such examples as, as, as Live 8 and, and so on. And clearly, there are mixed motives at work here. And one of the things that's interesting to do is to go in the aftermath at Live 8 uh, look at the websites of the artists who perform there to find out if they make reference to make Moffaty history or to the Jubilee campaign. And you won't be surprised, perhaps, to find out that very few did. Annie Lennox did, U2 did, Coldplay did. Pete Duffley doesn't, Elton John doesn't, Pink Floyd don't, Robbie Williams doesn't. They don't make references. So, in, you know, one is encouraged, I suppose, to think slightly of a, of a, um, of a cynical motivation behind these events. And it's now, as I come, this is my, my last uh, set of thoughts of these. That clearly there is a, a, a set of issues and set of concerns that emerge as, as we see celebrities uh, become involved with uh, humanitarian causes. They are clearly capable of raising money. They clearly bring attention to the cause. They clearly raise awareness, awareness of certain things anyway. They clearly have influence. 
They set agendas, as agendas which may or may not serve the cause. They have access, again, perhaps to the detriment of others. You may wonder why there's a picture of Alicia Dixon sitting in a bath of condoms next to that. The answer to this is, uh, is, as I think, two things I want to say about what is happening. It seems to me the question, is the celebrity and their association with humanitarian causes a fad? I think not. I think we're expect, we should expect this to be part of an ongoing story. And part of the reason for that is that the increasing professionalization of the relationship between celebrities and causes. In the case of Alicia Dixon is here because there was, it, it has been suggested that she's been paid £10,000 by the Department of Health in order to appear in this photograph. And the thought here is that these celebrities are now part of a commercial relationship with the causes which they serve. The second thing I thought it might be worth saying and noting is that there's a lot of this work going on that we don't see. Lincoln Park, the, the rock band, have a, a MySpace uh, site where they have 900,000 friends and through which they raise millions of dollars uh, for uh, poverty relief. And this, in the kind of the wake of the Obama success with MySpace and so forth, is an indication perhaps of how we might expect this relationship to go on in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, our next speaker is Anne McFerrin. saying than you might expect, but I'll, um, I'll tell you some of my stories in the way that journalists do, and uh, then hopefully we can, between us, we can glean some substance from it. Um, about a year back, uh, I was sent on an assignment to Africa, which made me the envy of my journalistic colleagues, my children, some of my students who are here tonight. Um, and it involved being in Sierra Leone. Uh, and at one stage, we, was, uh, we went about four hours out of the capital, which is free time. I found myself in a small mud hut on a fairly unscheduled visit. There was myself, there was a young woman who was a 15-year-old mother who had just given birth, a midwife, a photographer, and David Beckham. Um, <laughs> so I'll put this one out so you can, can see that. I'll try and show you the whole bit of it. This is the, this is the young mother. Can you see her? And this is her baby who is very newborn. And the, one of the main reasons that I wanted to start with this story, apart from the fact that it is probably, he is probably the most famous person who I've ever done one of these trips with, is that actually it was also one of the least difficult, or I beg your pardon, one of the most difficult stories to actually sell. Because this story was 
infant mortality. Now, Sierra Leone is, I'm sure there's lots of development students or people who are studying the development in, in, the, in the audience, but in Sierra Leone, one in four children die before the age of five. And this is a stunningly horrible statistic. But for people like me, to get this kind of information over in a newspaper or magazine is just getting harder and harder. I don't want to go into the you know, whys and wherefores at this point in time, but take it from me. There are certain issues that are really, really hard to get over. In to, there are certain stories which are really hard to get, get into newspapers and magazines. And others are, let me tell you, I'll just, I've made a short list of what some of the others are. Others are maternal mortality, um, polio immunization, immunization generally, uh, poverty in the third world, famine, hunger, blah, blah, blah. These are really, really hard stories to get into the mainstream press, which is one of the reasons why, over the years, I've been involved in various trips to highlight these issues with some of the following people. Mia Farrow, polio immunization. Susan Sarandon, early childhood development in India. Robbie Williams, immunization in Sri Lanka. Roger Moore, the general stuff of UNICEF. Uh, Bob Geldof, I think I showed you that, which was the whole G8 hunger, uh, third world poverty issue. Um, all these press trips were made to highlight the kinds of issues uh, which normally really, really are very difficult to um, raise awareness of. And the interesting thing about the Beckham trip is that I've never in my life found it so easy to sell a story. And you will obviously all know, all know why. Um, and when you go on these trips, uh, there's, a, there's a certain amount of, um, obviously, the whole point of the trip is that you will look at this issue, but through it will be refracted through the prism of the experience of the celebrity. Now, one of the questions that we ask ourselves, indeed, that John has just asked is, uh, first of all, why do they do it? Why do we journalists do it? Why do NGOs do it? Why does MSF largely not do it? The answer to the first question uh, is probably kind of obvious. Let me show you this one next. This was Mir Farrow in Nigeria. And this was an immunization story. Now, one of the reasons that often celebs do do it um, is that they are actually probably, you know, many of them that I've worked with have been really quite decent people. They also feel it's that there is a sense in which they are giving back. And they also feel, oddly, and I think often contradictorily, that it will be some way in which they have of finding a kind of reality touch, of, you know, um, of getting back to the kind of life that they had once lived, they feel it's some sort of reality check, which is actually, believe me, sheer madness, because usually on these kinds of trips, people are mobbed far more than they would normally be. And with Beckham, because he is actually a world-famous footballer, as you all know, 
Um, he was mobbed like I think he'd never experienced being mobbed ever before. Uh, I watched him walk from a little, it was a sort of little airport building in Freetown, it's all sort of terribly basic, to the plane that we were uh, taking to, to the main town. I don't know whether any of you have ever been to Freetown, but you actually land in, in an airport and then you have to do another hop to the sort of main centre of it. Within the time of 10 minutes when Beckham's own private plane had landed, and probably about five minutes later when we, who were the journalists and the photographer and blah, 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 landed, uh, about 50 people had been called, whatever, I think it was all due to mobile phones from the, from the airport. So although this was a top secret celebrity trip, he was literally mobbed, and what I saw when I first saw this figure crawling out of the airport building, it was like a kind of spider. He was like this, and people were just literally, it was like sort of flies. People were coming in. They all wanted to just touch him, and he got onto this trip. This was our first meeting, and we were all, oh, my God, you know, and he said, that was the worst I've ever experienced. So here's the odd thing. They actually think that they're in for a reality check. But the truth is that they will probably be mobbed if they're serious stars like Robbie Williams or Beckham than they have ever been. But, and the big thing is that if it is somebody like Beckham, if it is somebody like Mia Farrow, and most of the people I've done with who really are, actually, they do work very hard doing it, they will give their, they do give their all. They actually work really, really hard. And there was one moment... Uh, not long after, we had the occasion with the, which I've shown you, the, with the child, with, the, with this young mother who was 14 or 15. And at the very end of the interview, let me tell you, um, he said to the translator, who was also the midwife, tell her she's really good with the baby. And the odd thing was, I was thinking, how does he know what it's like to be very good with the baby? Uh, our next stop consisted of being at, a, at an emergency feeding station at which there were twins who were about six months old and really screeching. And the midwife said, why don't you hold them to Beckham? And Beckham actually got one under each arm and began to jiggle them up and down so that these babies stopped crying, and much to the delight of the midwives. And they said, oh, you know, we, you can have a job here any time. <laughs> um, he didn't really work at it. Now, I sound like I'm being a kind of PR on the point, uh, on, the, uh, on the part of the celebrities, and I'm really not. Uh, and I have worked with celebrities who actually have been kind of absurd. And um, I'll, presumably this is Chatham House Rules, I'll tell you about an occasion in um, India with Susan Sarandon, who I'm sure that most of you know that the, that the untouchables in, in India are known as Dalits. And Susan Sarandon had just been introduced to her first uh, Dalit mother. And they were having this conversation. And as you probably all know, the untouchables really are the lowest of the low. They, you know, this woman lived in a horrible hovel. She had millions of children. She couldn't even you know, take her water from the main well because she was an untouchable. So uh, to actually then participate, to overhear the interview between Susan Sarandon and the Dalit woman, to me was very painful hearing because what she was saying was, I know just what it's like doing those night feeds, my God, you know, I've been there, believe me, I've been where you are. And you went, no, 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 you really, really haven't. <laughs> you really haven't been there. Um, so there can be 
absurdities. And there was another, I can think of many absurdities which are in their own way delightful. One included Robbie Williams, in which he decided that he was so overwhelmed with the experience of the IDP camps in the internally displaced person camps in um, northern Sri Lanka, which was in the Tamil territory, that he needed to pray at a Buddhist shrine. And this involved stopping this very long convoy of cars, because it was quite, it was a really dangerous time. So you had to travel in convoy um, to make sure for safety. So we all sat while Robbie ostentatiously prayed. <laughs> there was another moment which also, I think, pulled him up short. I mean, this is what often ha happens on these trips, that actually the reality of the situation in a developing country with these people actually turns our Western notions on their head, as rightly it should. And when he went into one IDP camp, um, they were playing Angel, which was one of his big hits at the time, and he was completely mobbed. Um, and then he sang it for, for he sang it for the kids, for the mothers, and it was all you know wonderful, blah blah. blah. As he was leaving, a man came up to him with his child, who was about three years old, thrust him into Robbie's arms, and said, "Here, you take him." In very broken English, you bring him back to England with you. He's He's far better off with you than with, than with me. And of course, Williams was completely flummoxed, you know, he, and, and clearly was, did not know how to handle it. I think that the UNICEF mind is, not, most of these trips, I should quickly say to you, have been with UNICEF. Um, I think cleared it up. But it was, I think this was a moment which actually caught him up, and I thought that was really good. Okay. So getting quickly back to the point of why they do it, they clearly want to appear like nice guys. I do think that they feel it's a reality check. I do feel that they genuinely have to want to do it because it's often exhausting. Why do we journalists do it? Well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it? We get, I mean, two things, and this is the lesser of the thing first. We get fantastic access to stars. You get the, the kind of insights that you'd never, ever get. I mean, normally you get one hour in the Dorchester. Uh, but you often just have you know, really extraordinary privileged access. And I wanted to quickly touch on the, some of the uh, other things. But the main reason for me is that I can get to write about the kind of issues that I was telling you about earlier maternal mortality, infant mortality, you know, really unsexy stories. Given the choice, I would always go into the field on my own with a photographer because one of the problems is that with these kind of stories, they do not warrant any complex telling. You are having to look at those issues through the prism of the celeb anyway, so you've got a kind of double thing going on. And if you can tell a story of any kind of complexity, you're doing really well. But largely, the stories that I've been proudest of are ones that, um, i just give you this one very briefly. This is one that I did in Darfur, which is about a year back, and was about the children of the rape victims. We will, I know, get on to talking about this, but I will leave you with this one, which was an article that I wrote, which was actually quite critical of the whole celeb thing, and it was after Martine McCutcheon 
went on a trip to Ethiopia for water aid. It wasn't with, it wasn't with me. But the story was that she checked out of the you know, quite low-key hotel that she was staying in with the aid workers and checked herself into the Addis Ababa Hilton, which is you know, one night there would pay for a quite large Ethiopian village for several years, probably. Uh, she also, as you'll see by the photograph, had her photograph taken on what was is clearly a spotlessly clean Land Rover, and she was doing it for water aid. I mean, the ironies abound. So what I, I wanted to finish on this, because I have as many questions about this role, I'm the hard hand, da, 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 but I have met MSF in the field, both in the DRC and in Congo, a big one and in Darfur, and my, you know, I can only say my admiration for them is, is enormous, is really high. They don't do it, largely, and I suspect that the reason is very good practice, but I look forward to hearing more why in a moment or two. Thank you. Thank you. So on to you, Chris, and I sure. think the stage has been set. So why the build up? Thank you. Why do NGOs, certain NGOs, use it, and why? Um, thank you, and thank you for the remarks of others on the on the panel. Very interesting topic, um, not one that MSF is normally asked to speak about, since um, in general. Um, as, as Anne has, has mentioned, um, it's, we haven't actively pursued celebrities um, to promote our work or our concerns. Um, we don't have any celebrity coordinators or the liaisons within the organizations that many of the other organizations have. But this isn't because we have some principled stance against um, the involvement of celebrities in, 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 in uh, aid, aid organizations and humanitarian causes, but it's much more due to the fact that um, we really believe that the best spokespersons for our work are the people who are doing the work, and those are our own field staff. And those are the doctors and nurses who are on the front line providing treatment to the victims of violence and disaster in the places we've worked, we work, and they are the witnesses firsthand of, of, of the suffering that, that people are, are, are going through in, in many of the contexts that, that we are working. So we, and we believe very much that the acceptance of, of, of our work and, 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 the, and by the people we're working with and for, um, as well as the trust of our supporters, um, we rely almost primarily on, on private donations around the world, is due very much to the fact that people see us on the ground, they see us working, they see what we do, um, and that they know we're actually there, and that we're speaking out directly ourselves um, about what we're witnessing and uh, when we feel we need to do so. But of course, um, that means it's, it's harder and harder to get um, some of our issues out, especially on the extremely underreported crises um, that we're many times um, faced with. And especially when there is much more coverage in the evening news of celebrities than there is of, uh, of world events, um, as has been said already. That said, um, MSF really has been, very, has been very lucky to have the very generous support of many, many celebrity, celebrities, many who give um, financially to us, some of them very discreetly, some of them who use, their public use public opportunities to raise funds for us, 
And um, uh, many of them are people who know us because they've either had somebody work with us or they've seen us on the field for, 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 for uh, one reason or another, maybe on one of your trips. <laughs> and, uh, and then they uh, become our supporters, um, I think, because they, they admire the work we do. For, the ex for one example that's interesting is the singer James Blunt, who has raised literally uh, tens of thousands of dollars for us around the world while on tour by simply asking his people at his concerts to make donations to, to our organization. And this is because he was motivated um, because he, as a member of the British Army during the Kosovo crisis, he saw our work on the ground and was very impressed. And then when he uh, became famous, he simply wanted to provide direct support back to us in a, in a very unrestricted fashion. And uh, many of these uh, celebrity donors who, who you know, do this and it's discreetly, um, they don't ask uh, anything from us other than to use their, their funds well, which is, of course, we appreciate very much as, since uh, uh, we, the unrestricted funds that we receive are, 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 are the most uh, 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 valued by us. Um, so while we haven't sought out celebrities as spokespeople or to, um, to promote our work directly, we have on occasion also, and I think this is something to, to talk about, partnered with celebrities to take advantage of their, what you could say, their specific talents to help bring, uh, bring attention to some of the most neglected crises that we're facing, many of the issues that you already mentioned. For example, um, inspired by MSF's work, Javier Bardem, the Spanish actor, um, on his own um, uh, uh, went ahead and produced a film called The, uh, the Invisibles, where he brought together five uh, very well-known directors, including Wim Wenders, and to address five urgent crises um, uh, that MSF felt were, were receiving little attention in the mainstream media. All we did really was brief the directors on what we thought were really key issues that were not being uh, uh, reported on in, the, in, in, in our work, and then they used their talents. We didn't give them any other instruction. They used their talents and they put together this this uh, five-part, uh, this, this film, um, which has uh, received uh, a great acclaim at the film festivals around the world. And we really, ha it's, it's wonderful because it, it, it talked about uh, sexual violence in the Congo and Chagas disease in South America, issues that we are almost never able to get in the, in the mainstream media. Um, also here in the UK, um, there was a, a project with the Sunday Times where several well-known writers, I think you yeah. remember this, went to, to our field projects, including Martin Amos and Daniel Day-Lewis, and uh, um, we, all we did was take them there, and then they wrote their own impressions and, and, and stories about what they had seen and done um, in, 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 uh, with, with our work. So that's, we have done some things like that, but it's more using the talents and collaborating than, than, than asking them to be a spokesperson for us. Um, and it's more to focus uh, attention on the issue than it is really to, uh, to, to draw attention to us per se. And most of my experience with the people who have chosen to use their fame to draw attention to humanitarian issues is, is, is quite genuine and they are devoted to, uh, to the causes that they're advocating and try their best to find uh, the most thoughtful way because for them I think also just having a picture in the newspaper in a developing world con context or in a tabloid is not what they're seeking and uh, it's certainly not what we are either. So I do believe that if you use the celebrity power right you can ha use it to, to bring uh, public attention to an issue that would other not, otherwise not likely make it in the headlines. Um, for example I was quite impressed to see a half hour special on MTV, um, which has put a lot of energy into some of these issues, hosted by Jay-Z, of all people, in Angola, talking about the water crisis, but for you know, a full half hour. We could never get a full half hour prime time 
um, well, maybe we could try on MCP um, to talk about uh, to talk about some of the issues that we that, that we are dealing with. Uh, for example, also I think the conflict in Darfur um, would not never have risen as high on the political agenda um, without uh, the multiple celebrity attention to it. Um, that the question then is, of course, uh, what happens when uh, you have multiple, as I said, multiple celebrity focus on, on some causes, such as maybe HIV and Darfur in, in recent years, and virtually none on others. Um, and you lead to this imbalance whereby some issues receive more attention and others, others perhaps less. For example, we never see any celebrities um, drawing attention to, maybe you'll, you'll tell me of one, uh, to tuberculosis, for example, um, which is uh, not a very sexy disease, but uh, um, kills nearly two million every year. So our, you don't see people, uh, uh, many celebrities right now focusing on behalf of uh, uh, bringing attention to behalf of the people of, of war-torn Somalia, for example, in a very complex context, and, uh, and, and you don't see that. Another, another concern, is, as John already raised, is when the celebrities themselves become considered sort of the ultimate authorities on, or, or experts on any given uh, issue or context. And uh, sometimes, from our point of view, it can be very frustrating to see, for example, Bono and, and Geldof being invited back uh, <laughs> for drinks with Tony, but uh, we don't get to even have a meeting, for example, on front of our issues. So, um, and uh, that is, you know, and for, for, for us, for example, a celebrity can visit for just a couple days or even a couple hours to one of the contexts where we're working and then have, you know, literally dozens of interviews, whereas uh, we working in a, in, in a place for, uh, for, for decades may not get uh, any, any media attention. And it's not about us, it's really about the issue. And then, of course, there's, which, which was mentioned, I think, as well, is the risk of oversimplification of the, a very complex context and issues um, to, into sound bites that are more, more suitable for, the, for the, celeb the media that's covering celebrities. And that, that's not you, because you have a quite long articles, <laughs> I see. But uh, I come from the United States, where it's usually quite short. The other, um, big, que the other big question is, um, does it work? You know? And uh, are, are issues that receive more attention by celebrities more likely to receive more aid, more funds, more political will um, to resolve them, it's, I think that's very hard to say. Um, but I cer certainly don't think that celebrity attention on certain issue has slowed down. It hasn't solved them, but it certainly hasn't slowed down, for example, um, the efforts to increase access, access to, to treatment for people with, uh, living with HIV in Africa and elsewhere. Um, but for other much more complex conflicts and, and issues, I think it's, it, there's, there's still a lot more uh, to, to, to the jury still quite out on whether that has an impact or not. Um, another topic I just wanted to raise, it's a little bit off, uh, off topic, but I think it's interesting um, in this context, is what, we, what I, I've noticed what, and what we might call a kind of a celebratification of the humanitarian aid worker, in fact, because in, in the popular media, and maybe it's a little bit sort of what you were, you were talking about. I know, um, I was formerly communications director for the U.S. Office of, uh, of Medicine Sans Frontières, and we received many, many calls in the past year from, from film producers and TV um, writers asking us to uh, help them in, to portray aid workers in, in films and TV. <laughs> and some of the depictions, of course, are quite concerning, especially when they're doing more other work than actual aid work. It's, it's <laughs> difficult. It's concerning for us. I've, I've normally wanted to engage because we want to. It's very, it's very um, uh, for us, it, it's, it's concerning to see mass media uh, portraying uh, uh, aid workers doing things that they shouldn't be doing necessarily because, of course, it can, it can lead to um, security. Yeah, no mention on that. <laughs> security issues that uh, uh, concern us. Um, 
And that's and 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 that said, though um, uh, I, I wanted to just and but there are others who got it right a bit as well. I have to say, there's for example, uh, I worked with with ER, the TV, the American mm -hmm. TV show, uh, a couple of times. They they had a number of aid workers. It's usually my feeling is when they want to get rid of one of their actors, <laughs> or they or they want to uh, they want to have somebody wants to go on leave for a year, they send them to the field. Okay. And so <laughs> and then they call us. So I'm like, okay. So they uh, you know uh, so we worked a little bit. With with ER to help get uh, to get um, some messages across in the scripts uh, um, on Darfur and so on, but I, I just wanted to close by saying that you know for, for me I, I think there there is no monopoly on the humanitarian impulse I mean and the and the will to and the desire to help those most in need and, and I think that's a very basic one. Um, so the fact that that celebrities would want to use their fame and their fortune and their access to help humanitarian aid work or poverty issues, which is is, is not surprising to me, and I shouldn't I don't think we could call it a fad at all, but um, something that uh, if Bob Dylan did it, you know, but he's going to do it. But that said, I think that humanitarian issues we are facing today are, are very complex and not always very sexy, as you said, as well. And uh, I think this is why the celebrities that do choose to get involved in, in these issues really know that uh, they have to devote the time and energy to understanding them in order for them to be effective in their work. And I think the ones that you see that have been, have been um, somewhat uh, uh, successful, uh, if you we could call it that, have, have been able to, have really had to devote a great deal of time. It's not an e easy thing to yeah. do. So, um, uh, and so for, for right now, for example, I wouldn't mind, in addition to Somalia and tuberculosis, my colleagues are here working on it, uh, I think we would love to see some more attention, celebrity or not, and of course uh, the plight of civilians in, in Sri Lanka we're not seeing, uh, you did it one time there, but again, uh, better food aid for millions of children who are dying from malnutrition around the world every day. These are issues that you still don't see enough of, um, whether celebrity or not, so. Thank you very much. You've all given us lots of things to think about and to discuss. Um, now we have until about eight o'clock, and um, there, are, I believe, are microphones. Okay, they're roving microphones. And if I can please ask um, you to give us your name and your organization, um, who you are, uh, before you ask your question, and please um, keep your questions and comments brief, so we can have as many. Um, people participating as possible. So I'll take. Okay. He's bringing it. <laughs> Thank you. It's a question for Anne. I, I'm a journalist too, and I work in a similar sort of field. I've been on Oxfam trips with um, Samuel L. Jackson. I've got one coming up with. Uh, Scarlett Johansson in Bangladesh. And I just wondered if she'd also noticed um, a format fatigue. I've certainly noticed pitching humanitarian celebrity oh. pieces, but it's sometimes seen as being a little bit Americanized, perhaps, and I'm noticing that there's less of an appeal for that type of piece, and I just wondered if she'd found the same. Yeah, I, I think... So the question is, is there fatigue? For, a format fatigue format with a humanitarian And when you say yeah. format fatigue, what you mean is this celebrities in the field yeah. doing good yeah. works? Absolutely, but actually even more disastrously, and this is me kind of you know, banging on my hobby horse, it's so hard to get these stories through now. You know, it's a nightmare, whether there's a celebrity there or whether it's a damn good story. And I suppose what I didn't say and what I was saying is 
that the simpler and the harder the issue to get through, whether it's TB in Somalia, and actually I have been trying to get through okay. TB in Somalia, <laughs> and failing miserably, let me add, um, I think it's just all got harder. And what you need now is actually, and I'm sure you've experienced this yourself, because I, I noticed that, that you're talking about seriously big stars. You actually have to now get seriously big stars. Yeah. Um, that you probably, poor old Martine, or, uh, and I'm sorry, it sounds really patronizing, and I don't mean it like that, but, you know, she probably wouldn't be enough now. You, you, you wouldn't need Scarlett Johansson. But I think what's even more worrying is that there seems to be a dearth of appetite for these stories anyway. And, you know, just a week or so back, I was called by an editor at the Sunday Times and they, they're having a particular problem with some slot, and they just said, you could probably even get one of your African stories <laughs> into the slot. Oh, no. And it was kind of, you know, oh, okay. But one is a pragmatist, so you yeah. work with the situation. I mean, do you, you think in this economic climate as well, there's they're less sort of amenable Completely. to that type of content? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. That's true. The economic climate is going to have an impact. We have a question down here. Is there? There's the mic. Hi, I'm um, Tom Indivar on the recently appointed Poverty and Development Correspondent of the Times. So um, we're trying to take a different town. So far in my two months in the post, I've been celebrity free. And, um, <laughs> to kind of keep it that way. Sorry, uh, is the microphone working? Can you hear in the back? I mean, is that better? Maybe I need yeah, to hold okay. it a bit closer. Sorry. Yeah, so been celebrity free so far, although to be honest with you, um, I've interviewed Jeffrey Sachs and Muhammad Yunus and Joe Stiglitz, who in their own way have become celebrities mm, right. themselves. And, and actually, my colleagues are almost more excited about the fact that I've done an interview with those guys than with the celebrities that you've mentioned. <laughs> um, the point I just wanted to raise a couple of questions in general across the board, or across the panel. One is that... Um, with celebrities, uh, is there not a, a, a kind of celebrity divide being created in that the big organizations, the big charities, are the ones that are getting the stars and celebrities, mm -hmm. and the smaller ones aren't getting access and are being more and more and, and being marginalized increasingly? And I also, I mean, I, ha I don't know myself, but were there many celebrities, or any for that matter, who campaigned um, for work to be done in Gaza in uh, the West Bank at all in the recent conflict, which I'll be interested in. The only other um, question I want to start, and this is again for Zan, really, is um, are, are celebrities not a bit overprotected? They're, they're putting themselves in the public space, in the public sphere, in the same way that civil servant public service, um, yeah. people put themselves, and they should be challenged in, 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 yeah. and, and, and as much as anyone else would be. Okay, thank you. I think there was about three questions there. One, perhaps, Chris, you can take it. It says, the big versus the small charities. Is there a marginalization of the smaller organizations, perhaps? Second question about celebrities in Gaza. And the third was, why shouldn't they be criticized and put themselves challenged? challenged? So I don't know who wants to. Um, on the which you you mentioned a celebrity divide between big organizations and smaller ones. I don't I don't know exactly. You'd have to really do kind of research on that. But what what I've noticed in my reading of, of <laughs> the tabloids and so on is that some some celebrities may not. I mean the big 
the, the UN agencies that have the, the, the formal ambassador program and so on. I mean, that's a very formalized, and they only go for the top celebrities, I think, yeah. or else for celebrities that have re regional impact. It's not always a, a Beckham, but it could be someone from the region that, um, that, uh, that they're trying to have an impact on, which I Absolutely. think is a smart way to do it as well. But then I've noticed also um, that uh, some, some uh, people prefer to choose a smaller one that they think they can help more. I, I think that does happen. And mm -hmm. I think there are also quite a few celebrities that have chosen their own causes mm -hmm. and started uh, charitable foundations um, based on those. So I, 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 don't, I can't really answer your question, but I've seen those differences. Yeah, I think there's a difference between the freelance celebrity and the, I don't know if John, you wanted to talk about that. But no, I mean, well, just a, I mean, a couple of points. I think this interesting is, is I mean, it kind of touches on a point that's already been made about the difference between how some issues play well for celebrities and other issues that don't, and, and, and this, the issue, the, the kind of TB example. And you get the version of that in the kind of comic relief effect, which is that mm. people will tend to phone up much more frequently for things that are actually foreign causes than they will for UK causes, mm, yeah. and particularly things like domestic violence. doesn't generate anything like the number of calls as do uh, causes that are seen as... as as, as somehow outside of the UK. And, and there seems to be all sorts interesting and complicated reasons as to why the public responds in those particular ways. I think the other thing, one of the other sort of factors that plays into this story is the ways in which, I mean, brought to our attention, I think, by the BBC's decision over uh, whether it would show the, uh, the appeal on behalf of Gaza, about the, the ways in which broadcasters and others are kind of mediate what are acceptable, what counters charities and what counters causes to which, as it were, they can give endorsements and support and those which they feel are too political. And the third thing, and on the, on the issue of Gaza, as it happens, there's, I have a letter here that was sent to the Guardian, which was signed by Tony Benn and the chair of the Stop the War Coalition, and has a, a number of um, you know, typical political figures. But the majority of the people signing it are Annie Lennox, Michael Nyman, Brian Eno, Alexi Sale, Terry Jones, Bill Bailey, Vanessa Redgrave, Nigel Kennedy, Janet Sussman, and so on. I mean, almost all the names are artists, although it's obviously been organized by a fairly formal political organization. But, but so they were there in some sense, but not. The challenge, uh, absolutely. Uh, I think often what happens, though, is that on these trips, they, they are scheduled to the eyeballs, which is why for a, a journalist is quite dull. So if you, for instance, if you're going into some you know, feeding station or a makeshift hospital in the field, whatever, you can't say, and actually this is a good example with um, your guys, I went with UNICEF and Jessica Lang to the DRC and there was an amazing MSF doctor who actually said, you have to come and see the work that we're doing in this hospital here. And it was a complete nightmare, there was a kid who whose arms had been sawn off by one of the horrible things. She was with her mother, and Jessica Lang was clearly terribly moved by it. And she's a really decent woman, actually, a really nice woman. And so she and I were sort of trying to get as much as it. But that meant that we were however many minutes, hours, even off our schedule. And although the MSF guy, I thought he was quite right in doing what he, yeah. what he did, it sort of threw the whole program. And usually these celebs, after they've seen a little bit of stuff, as it were, after they've had a bit of interaction with the pregnant mother or the uh, tortured child or whatever, they then have to do 50 million interviews. I mean, because it, it isn't just me who's going on the trip. It's often, they often have a camera crew and they have the local press 
And they are exhausted, actually, they're doing it. And I just wanted to pick up on this, on the other point. And I think that's what they kind of should be. That is what they should be doing. They do actually work hard. But on the thing of them being challenged, certainly uh, Mia Farrow is now working in Darfur, and she's not, I think, as I understand it, I think she's gone slightly kind of off message in terms of the UNICEF stuff. And so she's kind of her own little one-man, one-woman NGO now, as is Sarandon, as is somebody else. And some of them do get, you know, so that, as you were saying, they actually form their own trusts, and they become very involved in it. Emma, Emma Thompson, who's a you know, really decent woman, and she, um, she writes her own pieces afterwards because she doesn't want somebody with her. And why should she? Uh, the interview I did was when she came back, and that's fine too. So yes, they should be challenged, and yes, they do work hard. And I should mention there's now a celebrity matchmaking service. It's an entrepreneurial thing where someone offers to link a celebrity with an NGO. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for feed. Okay, there was one question. I'm going to take two. So one here and one there. So if the first, the gentleman here, and then the lady there. Thank you. Uh, yes, um, I'm interested um, in what. Um, so would you identify there, think, from, yourself? Um, so yeah, I'm Philip, Phil Hall. I'm an independent author with interest, long-term interest in celebs okay. um, from the per perspective of uh, an analysis, not, uh, <laughs> not, not uh, a stalker. Um, <laughs> that's the question of them being held accountable um, that the gentleman, I think, from the Times mentioned, that there is the issue of co-optation, isn't there, being co-opted. In other words, Bono um, was forever saying how nice the George Bush people were and how you know, one could sort of extract some kind of result from them, which I think in retrospect seems at best foolish. Um, and Bob Geldof has become you know, a towering figure in our society through his work and perhaps uh, has led him, he obviously has critical perspectives, but perhaps has led him to um, put them to one side very often. And I'm interested in, I, I too read the Marina Hyde article that uh, John mentioned, um, that uh, at Davos this year, there is a notable absence of celebs. And I wonder if that is because that some of the people at Davos, being bankers, are not quite as popular as they once were. <laughs> and in fact, uh, people have thought perhaps to have found themselves rather busy at Davos time of the year and are, are doing something else. I see uh, Bono is making a record, which is quite surprising. I think he's in a group, <laughs> isn't he? You too. Um, and he's not at Davos. Whereas perhaps okay. in previous years, he might have you know, put his recording uh, commitments to one side and, and haired off there. Okay, so where are the celebs at Davos is the, the, the mm -hmm. question. And the question of being co-opted. And the question of being co-opted. Let's take the second question as well, the, the lady of the... Um, Kate Nash, Goldsmiths College. Can you hear? No? Barely. I need to hold it really close. Okay. Um, it, it sort of follows on from the question previously because we've been really seeing humanitarianism as charity, and that was very much there is 
also been this kind of move towards humanitarianism as politics, which we see quite a lot, and it's a sort of moral politics that almost doesn't look like politics, but kind of does, which makes it good for celebrities to kind of be involved in from their point of view, clearly. It's sort of not politics in any, you know, kind of normal sense. But I, would, I was just wondering if you could just talk a little bit about whether that sort of the, what celebrities bring particularly to humanitarianism as politics, whether they, because you could say that around um, Live Aid, for example, they did build a groundswell of opinion, which indeed was co-opted and was a failure, but there was a huge kind of mobilization of um, the population of people for, for, a, for a distant cause, which is not, not something that happens every day, that's for sure. So I, I just wondered if you would talk a little bit about the kind of way in which celebrities get involved in humanitarian politics mm. and whether that's got particular mm. advantages or particular pitfalls or difficulties or... Okay, thank you. So three questions, one about accountability, one about the absence of celebrities at Davos, and then the third is about celebrities and political mobilization around humanitarian causes. So I don't know who wants to take... John, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, all very interesting and hard questions. I think, I mean, the, I think the issue of, of co-optation is a really interesting one, and it, and that that impression that one gets of of how one can see kind of elite politics as as a kind of court effect, in which you know that uh, instead of having the dukes and the earls in in one's company, one has as rock stars as part of the the process of identifying oneself as. As, 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 as having attained kind of elite power. And I think the ways in which stars glamour reflects on politicians is quite an interesting dimension of the ways in which this relationship works. I think, I mean, and your comments on, on Bono's perhaps political misjudgments and so forth might, are interesting, but although the kind of ways people report Bono's uh, successes is, uh, is his ability to talk to such a range of political politicians, of people of very different political hues and of, and, and of religious persuasions and so forth, which, which he's, he has been, I mean, he is fated for by those who, who, who endorse the, his cause. But it's true, it, it, there are some fairly uncomfortable alliances he's formed. And I do think you're, I mean, I'm sure you're right about this, this whole idea that there is of, of managing a, a career at the same time. And, and one of the interesting stories one hears is the kind of tensions within you too over whether Bono is devoting quite enough time to the music making and, 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 and the tensions that emerge within the group over the, his, his other campaigns. And, and, it's, and, I, and I'm sure you're right that this, the absence in Davos is a further example of the absence of celebrities around other particular causes which are, don't play well um, or is, are not seen to play well in terms of uh, career development and, and so forth. And I think that the, the question about the, the politics of humanitarianism, I think that, that there, is, there is clearly some, some very, I mean, I, I mean, one again comes back to the ways in which organizations like the BBC mediate these events, and particularly taking something like Live Aid, where we, we know, for example, that the kind of the intermediate, the, the between the sets, the, the, the video clips, which were in some sense drawing more direct attention to the causes that were, uh, were being addressed and, and more explicitly engaging with the politics of that 
event uh, were not shown in the, in the TV coverage. And the, only, the exception being only when, when Annie Lennox was singing and uh, it was a, the, the cause was, was, was in fact AIDS. But it, it does seem that there is, as it were, uh, an issue here around the, the politics of it and the extent to which those mediating organisations tolerate uh, a, a, an explicitly political dimension and also, of course, the ways in which stars themselves are willing to be associated with things that have a directly political dimension. And that, I mean, from, from the history of things like Red Wedge and so forth, there is a, a, a wariness, it seems to me, among celebrities to, to be associated with anything which is seen to be profoundly or explicitly political. Did you want to? Yeah, I wanted to just tell you a little story about uh, the politics of humanitarianism. Obviously, one of the first questions that you ask a celebrity who's doing one of these trips is, why are you doing it? And often they give really interesting answers. And one of the most interesting answers came from Jessica Lang. Uh, when I went with her to the DRC, it was 2003, and her response was, I am doing this because I'm so ashamed to be an American living under George Bush and knowing that he is ignoring the world and the terrible things he's doing in his own country and blah, blah, blah. Uh, she went on at some considerable length. And as I was doing my interview, uh, the, the two delightful young women from Reuters uh, said to me at the end of the interview, would you mind if we picked up on that bit about Bush? And I said, no, it's absolutely fine. Great, oh, okay. Later that evening, and this was a trip which had been organized out of New York with UNICEF, the two UNICEF people said, I, I, by this time I had written my piece, I was about to file, said, you do realize if you run that thing on Bush, that you'll destroy our whole relationship with Jessica Lang, that we can't possibly have you saying that. It's really, really difficult for us, and um, UNICEF and blah, blah, blah. And actually, my response was, I don't know what yours would be, but my response was, actually, this is something that they should have sorted out first. This is something that they should have sorted out with her first. And anyway, in fact, by this time, the Reuters stuff the Reuters message had gone out, so there was no way that it could be retracted. But it was a, a kind of interesting thing that the responses are often more political than you mm. think. Yeah, because um, I mean, for me, that's interesting uh, because it's to me those are, that's not the politics of humanitarianism, or, 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 or that's just pol politics. That's her pure political view, and Absolutely. so um, that's for me that that can be one of the dangers is the confusion between mm -hmm. the political and the humanitarian because the humanitarian gesture is not does not have a political motivation, so therefore uh, the, the the true one that uh, that I that I would espouse to, and so then when you mix. The, the political agendas as well of a celebrity as well. It's, it was UNICEF that was asking you to. It was to, UNICEF who were asking to me to edit what their own ambassador was saying. Interesting. Okay, we have one, two, and three. I'll, I'll take three questions now because time is getting short. So, is the lady in the jumper? I'm Vicky from MSF, and uh, it was more of a comment, really. I just wanted to say a little bit of something from my own experience, which is uh, I was prompted to think about from the last question about humanitarianism as politics, but I think there's also the aspect of humanitarianism as solidarity. 
and I was I had the arduous task of accompanying Daniel Day Lewis to Gaza a few years ago, and uh, a hard job, but somebody had to do it. <laughs> and um, I was he his his schedule there. The way we managed it, his schedule wasn't. Uh, filled from the moment that he arrived to the moment that he left with interviews and he wasn't followed around by a television crew we, we wouldn't have been able to get a television crew into Gaza we had one photographer it was very very low profile and completely opposite from the David Beckham experience he wasn't mobbed nobody actually knew who he was but when people realized that a Hollywood actor had come to listen to their stories and to take them out to the outside world it meant so much to the people that he talked to, and it was, I, I have not been a great fan of, um, yeah, celebrities taking up causes, but that solidarity aspect, sure. them feeling that mm -hmm. somebody had come to listen to them and that they were important meant a great deal to those individuals, and maybe that wasn't enough to justify the visit itself, to carry it, yeah, to, to carry it, but it, it did make a tremendous, it meant a tremendous amount to them. Thank you. Very good point about the, the solidarity aspect. Uh, the gentleman on the corner and then... Hi. <clears throat> Mike Hollingsworth. I'm head of celebrity for Cancer Research UK. Um, I feel a bit like in the lion's den. Um, no. I, maybe I don't have anything to contribute to, the, to this debate because a lot of it is concerned with humanitarian causes and I take that to mean foreign and overseas stuff and I think John has already referred to the fact that um, the attention always seems to be focused abroad rather than at home. We probably feel we have to follow suit. I mean in order to focus attention on cancer messages we need to bring in celebrities. Um, there, are, there, are, there are probably too many thoughts running through my mind at the moment and I don't have a question but um, I think John pointed out why we use celebrities. He, he talked about they bring money, they bring attention, they bring awareness, they bring influence, uh, they set, help set an agenda, and they give us access. I, I first introduced Bob Geldof to Ethiopia. I took him to Ethiopia when he had made the Band-Aid record. And I think now... I hope he'll forgive me, but I think he's lost the plot. He has become the story. <laughs> and in fact, it is a shame, isn't it, that he and Bono were the only two people who went back to, to Downing Street, exactly as you've said, because they should have used that access. And I would hope, as a head of celebrity for a, for a very large charity, I would brief celebrities to, to carry the message through so that they would... I, I would never allow any celebrity to give a scientific message about cancer, for instance. Mm -hmm. When we use a celebrity, we use, it, we use them to bring attention to a mm -hmm. particular form of cancer, mm -hmm. just exactly as, sadly, we're doing now with Jay Goody. Mm -hmm. we, we would use them to bring the, the, the press attention in, and then we would use our scientists to give the proper and succinct message. Mm -hmm. But the only way of getting the press there sometimes is to use the celebrity in front of the in front of you know we I, I I filled the press conference because I brought along the chap who played the artful dodger in Oliver who was suffering from mouth cancer, and he 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 had had his um, voice box cut out he'd had his tongue cut out he was suffering very badly and we were talking about mouth cancer and all the scientists said as much as they could our chief executive said as much as they could about mouth cancer, and then Jack Wilde 
was asked to say something, and he opened his mouth and nothing came out. And the journalists around the room gradually descended. There were tears running down their faces, and they went home with a message that they could then tell. Sadly, Jack died three, three months later, but he, he del helped us deliver a message. And I think that's the important thing, and I think what's happened with Bob is that he's become the message. Sure. Mm -hmm. I think that's an excellent point about mm -hmm. do you draw attention away from the story and onto yourself as a celebrity? We have to work very hard at yes. stopping that happening. It's a very good point. And I want to take the, your Hi. comment. Uh, my name is Eli. I'm a master's student at uh, LSE in the Media and Communications Department. Before I was here, I, li I was living in Los Angeles, the uh, capital of celebrity. <laughs> um, and I, uh, some of the things we've been discussing is, is uh, you know, um, there was a certain level of compassion fatigue um, to seeing images of emaciated children. And so, uh, you know, celebrities were sort of brought in to bring back people's attention. And, uh, and now it's sounding as if you need a bigger celebrity to get that attention. I guess my question is a moral question. And that moral question is, is what's the next step? Do we have to have Amy Winehouse or Britney Spears uh, to shock people enough to get the story? And if so, uh, where are we going with this? And where is this going to end up? Um, and is this really, in the end, helpful to the cause? And I think that kind of um, hits on the last point of um, the message being stolen by the celebrity. Um, and this is more pointed, I guess, towards um, the NGO. How do you control a celebrity um, and, and make sure that uh, they, don't, uh, they don't become the message rather than helping to convey that message? And that's, uh, that's my moral, moral dilemma for the day. Thank you. Um, so the, you know, the issue is how do you keep the attention on the issue instead of the celebrity? I think Anne's photograph of David Beckham, it was very <laughs> interesting. You know, there, there was an attempt to show the, the young woman as well. I don't think they cut her out, whereas before they might have, or no? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, they, they, they go through all this picture stuff. Um, and you and the audience who are involved in this will know that that, they, that, that the pictures are okay by the celebs people and by UNICEF or whoever and so the news desks only do get a certain amount of chosen I images which is as it should be. I don't know, I wish I could answer your question. Uh, it's one which I ask myself daily. It's a very good question and you're absolutely right. And, but I also take, I'm sorry, I didn't get your name, yeah, but from cancer research, I think that you put that so eloquently. And, you know, it's the old saying, isn't it? It's, it's, the, it's the old quote, I think it was Stalin's quote, is um, a million deaths is a statistic, one. one death is a tragedy, and you show one powerful case history, as it were, in your case, Jack Wilde or whoever, and we all get it. We're all moved. We all understand. We all dig into our pockets and da da da. We're all aware, and actually that's always been one of my things too. It isn't just sort of putting your hand into your pocket. It's actually knowing the kind of work that MSF do. But perhaps actually, perhaps I could sort of just come back to one of the things that, that Chris was saying earlier, that there are so many stories out there that actually are not told. And it's not just the celebs that are, that are stopping these stories being told. It is also, it is people like 
the media, you know, it's your editors at the Times and my editors at the Sunday Times. It's like HIV is kind of cleaned up in terms of stories, and we're not hearing the important stories about TV because it seems slightly dull. So, you know, maybe we just have to write these stories better. That would be great. <laughs> 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 Mayor Culper. Yes. <laughs> okay, and let me take the last two um, questions. The gentleman in this row right there, and then Catherine. Hi, I'm Nick Black. I'm a documentarian working mostly in Berkeley. And I'm very used to the fact that if you don't use a celebrity for a lot of films, either the film won't get made or it won't have an audience. But my question is, supposing the economy in the West doesn't get better in the near future? Sorry, I didn't Supposing the economy doesn't oh, sure. get better in the near future, <coughs> things continue to get worse, do you see a change in this because people will just start to focus on their own lives? And you know, there's a limit to how famous is famous. Mm -hmm. Is there a limit to this hope? It'll just peel away and it'll become progressively more difficult. Mm -hmm. I certainly have had trouble getting some things looked at because it's too politically difficult, it's too complex, mm -hmm. it can't be easily explained, and if it's that way, you can't get someone on board to do it. And I'm wondering if, if you, Anne, will find it more difficult to get things rather than easier. Difficult subjects on. Okay, and I'll take the last question as well. Thanks. Um, my name is Catherine Schutz. I'm studying for a master's in NGOs and development here at the LSE at the moment. Um, my question uh, is basically at, at the beginning, John was talking about how um, there's been sort of a personalization of politics and a kind of breakdown of, of democracy and po possibly we're entering a post-democratic um, uh, form. And I was wondering whether you also thought there's possibly been a change in the nature of civil society, which either is reflected in this celebrities or is, is caused by this, uh, you know, celebrity phenomenon um, in that, well, I remember I was 18 at the time Make Poverty History came out and there was a general feeling amongst me and my friends that we could actually um, make a change by going to a concert or by wearing a bracelet. This was a legitimate form of political action and whether actually it, maybe it's a worrying trend that people are now starting to think instead of writing to my MP, I can buy a CD because this celebrity thinks mm. this about this and this and whether that's something we should be concerned about. Okay, thank you. The, the last two questions, um, the first was, uh, if the economy doesn't improve, will people just stop giving or caring and some issues because they are deemed too political or too complex? And Catherine's question about the nature of civil society and, and about impact, I think, in terms of, you know, are people changing in terms of how they engage with the political process, perhaps? So, who wants to? No, I Have you seen a dip in giving? <laughs> Maybe you can start from there. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I think Chris and others will want to say, and will say something in a minute. But I, mean, I think one of the, in, the two interesting things about the, about the case you're raising of, of the economy and so forth, I mean, that there is some interesting work being done on charitable giving, which seems to suggest actually that 
it doesn't follow directly you know, economic downturns. In other words, in, I mean, you don't see a, a direct slump in, in, economic, uh, in charitable giving with economic downturns in the, in the sense that people don't automatically switch off. But it's true that uh, um, over, over the long term, it seems <coughs> there is some decline. Uh, 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 John Micklewhite in um, Southampton has actually been monitoring charitable giving over the last 20, 30 years, and it, it proves a kind of interesting story about uh, willingness to give and under what conditions people give. I think also what's interesting is about how con conditions that are provoked by the economy and the ways in which those kind of much more complicated questions don't uh, easily lend themselves to, to the kind of messages that celebrities can deliver and which can be uh, confined to a soundbite. And it, clearly that's part of, part of the story we're, we're telling. But I think the other story that's, that's interesting and that's where it sort of lies behind much of what we've said and, and the, the point you were making about the civil society and so forth, but there is, I mean, what, what lies behind all of this is the ways in which, seems almost all of us anyway, do in some ways or other react to celebrities. I mean, in other words, that they do move us in ways that other human beings seem less able to do. And I mean, in, in the research we did, the case study we took besides Jubilee and, 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 and Live Eight was, was Rock Against Racism, which was some 1976. And also, I mean, it was an extraordinary moment. And then there the names weren't big. I mean, well, The Clash and The Jam are kind of big, and for some people they matter a huge amount. But they're not, they're not at the sort of stratospheric levels that we talk about now. And yet they had, in some senses, perhaps an even more profound effect upon the way people thought and behaved uh, than many of the contemporary celebrities had. And it doesn't seem to me that it's necessary to assume that we, we have to keep on racking up the size of the celebrity in order to have the effect, that there may be other kinds of celebrity effect that are taking place. And the example I gave of Link, Linkin Park seems to me uh, one of those, that we you know, as it were, this, this subterranean e effect that, we, that, is, that is happening. But I also am conscious, I think this is a comment to, to what you said earlier, about this potential that, that organizations like the Department of Health see that, in a sense, they have to buy celebrity support in order to deliver public policy. And that's now almost a condition of being able to get people to do the things we're expected to do. Uh, you need to pay Alicia Dixon, it is reported, uh, it's not been confirmed as far as I know, 10,000 pounds to sit in a bath of condoms. And you, you, you do wonder about what that trend might mean if, if it becomes internalized in government policy making, that we can't deliver a policy unless we've got a star. And, and that does seem kind of scary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Any last words? Just very quickly, and uh, I think it's very appropriate you should end on this um, question when we are looking at this audience full of students, and I can see some of my own students here, and I think it's, it's your task now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, everyone, um, for participating and for coming. And I would like to thank our three speakers, John, Chris, and Anne. Thank you for sharing your perspectives with us. We appreciate it. And our next public lecture will be on the 24th of February and it's about fair trade and um, more details will be made available on the LSE website. So thank you very much.